This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Researchers at Wash U School of Medicine in St. Louis have found that combining regular exercise with a 10% loss of body weight more than doubles sensitivity to insulin. And that's compared to a 10% weight loss without exercise. Uh, so to find out how that could help us get in shape here in Missouri, Dr. Samuel Klein is the Director of Human Nutrition at Wash U. Uh, welcome, doctor. Thank you, Bill. Pleasure to be here. What does it mean to be sensitive to insulin? So insulin is a major hormone that regulates many metabolic processes in the body, but particularly glucose control. So insulin stimulates sugar or glucose uptake by muscle tissue and suppresses glucose production by liver. So if you're resistant to insulin, you have increased blood sugar, and that can lead to type 2 diabetes and multiple medical problems. And tell us about this research where you found that combining regular exercise and being able to lose body weights can, can have an effect on, on the body then with insulin. So we know that the primary therapy for people who are obese or who are resistant to insulin is to lose weight and to increase physical activity. That's the recommended guidelines. But we also know that increasing physical activity is very difficult, so that's often ignored, and people really focus mostly on reducing food intake. And so we wanted to evaluate how important is it to increase physical activity or to conduct regular exercise in terms of increasing metabolic health. And so we did this study to compare people who lost 10% of their body weight by diet therapy alone versus 10% of their body weight by diet therapy plus regular exercise training. Uh, I'm assuming that the people who incorporated exercise and diet, that they lost their 10% of weight a lot quicker than those that just went on a diet. Not really. Because no. Exercise does, no, because exercise does not burn many calories. For example, if you walk um, uh, four miles in an hour, you'll burn up about 350 or 400 calories, which you can put right back on again with a slice of pizza and half of a beer. And so extra, and if you're more sedentary the rest of the day because you've exercised, then you'll, your total energy expenditure really won't change over a day. And so exercise, we know, is a very, very poor approach to getting people to lose weight. And that's why so many people say, I'm exercising in the gym an hour every day and I'm not losing any weight. I must be building muscle mass. That's not really the case. Exercise is a very poor approach to helping people lose weight. Dr. Samuel Klein is the director of human nutrition at Wash U in St. Louis. I don't know if you've seen this uh, guy before uh, on social media. Um, he's all over the place. If I'm on YouTube, TikTok, um, but he says, um, "Hey, if you're exercising uh, and you know you're you know you're not losing weight, I you know I guess he works with uh, Hollywood stars and, and helps shred and lose weight real quick." Have you seen this guy before? I think his name is Vince. I don't know, Vince. <laughs> okay, yeah. But he was kind of saying the same thing, though, is that, you know, don't kill yourself by doing an hour of exercise. You can do things more uh, efficiently. What What do you recommend for, for people that uh, are obese uh, in that pre-diabetes stage then for, uh, for bringing that down and, and helping their body um, get the insulin it needs? Yeah, so I think the important key here is that exercise itself 
doesn't have a very important impact on losing weight. That's really diet. But exercise does improve your metabolic health, which is the ultimate goal. And by improving your metabolic health, you reduce the risk of developing diabetes, fatty liver disease, high blood pressure, abnormal lipids, and heart disease as well. And so people should follow the general guidelines in the U.S. of what of, of exercise, which is roughly about 30 minutes a day of um, mild to moderate activity, and that includes brisk walking. Uh, Dr. Uh, listeners, uh, all shapes and sizes that are tuning into this, but can you give some parameters as to what's considered obese and pre-diabetic? Yeah, so pre-diabetes is a diagnosis that's made that shows that your fasting blood sugar is too high and your blood sugar in response to a glucose load, drinking a, a glass of glucose, is also too high, and that your A1C, which is a measure of your general uh, glucose concentrations is also potentially high, but you don't, they're not high enough to call you diabetic, to have type 2 diabetes. And so pre-diabetes is on the way to developing type 2 diabetes, and about 4 or 5% of people who have, type, who have pre-diabetes develop type 2 diabetes every year. So it's a very major risk factor. This Overweight. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't let you finish. Go, go ahead. So being overweight or obese has been crudely defined by this relationship between your weight and your height. And so if you're about 30 pounds overweight, uh, uh, higher than what your predicted normal weight should be, you're considered overweight. When you get up to 40 or 50 pounds above what your normal weight should be, then you're considered obese. And there are cut points from this index called a body mass index, weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. So it's a complex equation. The cutoffs are 25 for overweight and 30 for being obese. Can you, um, can you be pre-diabetic uh, without being overweight? Yes, you can. So people, but obesity is really the major cause of having pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes um, in this country. But you can have pre-diabetes and even type 2 diabetes without being overweight. Those are people who have a real defect in the pancreas to make insulin. And so insulin, uh, inadequate insulin production by the pancreas can also lead to pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes because you're not making enough of the hormone to regulate your blood sugar. Doctor, uh, one more question here before we let you go. If you become, if you get type 2 diabetes, can you get yourself out of it? Or once you're in, you have to treat it for the rest of your life? No, you, it's completely reversible. You can go into remission from type 2 diabetes if you start the intervention early enough and not wait too long. And the intervention is really losing weight and increasing physical activity. So people who develop type 2 diabetes can completely reverse the type 2 diabetes if they lose weight and also if they increase their physical activity. The amount of weight loss that you need to lose looks like it's around 15% of your body weight if you're obese. If you lose about 15% of your body weight to 20% of your body weight, you have a good chance of going into remission of your type 2 diabetes. It doesn't mean you're cured because if you regain the weight again, the diabetes will come back. Dr. Samuel Klein with WashU, um, for people that are concerned or want to say, hey, I need to make a change before they hop in the gym and, and start uh, diets, fad diets, they should obviously see their doctor first for a physical. Absolutely correct. Yeah. 
Dr. Samuel Klein, Director of Human Nutrition at Wash U in St. Louis. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Calling all Korean War veterans. Join us on July 27, 2023 at the Missouri State Capitol at 10 a.m. in the first floor rotunda for the 70th anniversary Korean War Veterans Armistice Day event. This tribute is dedicated to your incredible bravery and sacrifice in protecting our freedom and democracy. The event features a pinning ceremony and resource fair to honor and recognize your service. Don't miss this special moment in history. Register online at veteranbenefits.mo.gov to join us. Since Missouri's agricultural community joined together to help support the launch of Missouri Farmers Care Drive to Feed Kids in 2017, the drive has generated 11,224,132 meals that have all been donated to Missourians in need. Together, we can get Missouri food products on the plates of hungry Missouri children and their families. Visit mofarmerscare.com drive to learn more and join the effort. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council and mental health challenges, but many of us do not understand what we are facing or know how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we understand what you are going through, and we are here to help. Our vision is to build a mentally healthy nation for all. We work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Show me today. The High Point Theater in St. Louis is hosting a filmmaker showcase that screens work that was written, shot, directed, and produced by people in the St. Louis area. Cameron Connor is with Chris Clark of Cinema St. Louis. Chris, welcome. How many pieces of work have been featured at the Whitaker's St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase? So this is the 23rd annual um, showcase. Um, and all that time, we've presented... Um, over 2,000 works by St. Louis area filmmakers and expatriates who escaped our shores and work in you know, Chicago or New York or L.A. or, you know, sometimes even other countries. There's a guy from Webster Groves who's living in Spain right now who submitted a film for the event. So we're hugging the planet. But the main connective tissue is 
St. Louis uh, and St. Louis area filmmakers and, and those with strong connections to the area. Uh, and, you know, what is that art community specifically about? So um, it's grown over these 20 years. Uh, you know, the, the technology has changed many times over in the way you even record uh, a film. Um, you know, early, the first version, there were films that were shown on film. And then many types of tape formats and discs and things. And now everything is digital and through the air and, you know, imagination still comes out the other end on the screen. So that's what makes it consistent and wonderful. Wonderful indeed. And one thing that I'd love, it's just a curiosity question for this this version of of a Whitaker showcase is just the fact that the International Film Festival has has been going on a little bit longer than this one, correct? Yes. uh, This year will be year 32. 32. Yeah. And and where I want to go with that is so... Cinema St. Louis has been doing this for a while now. And when did it really come into light that they said, you know what? Hey, we want to do one that's just local, that represents the area, that has ties to St. Louis. Do you know when that started or started to develop? I do. (laughs) Um, It actually was (laughs) not originally our event. Um, There was an organization the year that it started in 2001 called um, the St. Louis Film Office. And their... there's now another one, a different version of it, that's that's part of the Convention of Visitors Commission. Um, there's a Missouri Film Commission, and there are similar entities and offices in other cities and other states all across the country uh, that promotes filmmaking. You know, whether it's commercials or, or, or features or shorts or whatever, you know, um, industrials, any kind of you know filmmaking process that happens, they promote that. Um, it. Uh, did this event and it was wildly curated and they knew even then that summer that their budget was ending at the end of the year. So they just threw a big party and just, you know, threw everything in the sun and anyone who submitted something, uh, showed it. Um, but it was celebratory still at the same time, uh, even although uneven, uh, in this curation, uh, <clears throat> people loved it. So at the end of the year, when that office closed, you know, that event was then homeless. Um, and the powers that be that sort of, you know, took over some of the uh, duties that that office had been, you know, answering questions about filmmaking in the state and, and city. Uh, people that were then in charge of that said, well, hey, do you guys want this event? Um, and I think that man was uh, one of those people involved was Kim Tucci, who was involved in the politics and the convention center and was later our board president uh, later in time, you know, kind of connect all the dots. And we said, oh, sure. And at that time, the only event that we had was the International Film Festival. This was our second event, and that was part of the reason we changed our name shortly after that to Cinema St. Louis. The original name of the organization also um, was the St. Louis International Film Festival because that was all they did. Then when we started adding events uh, like this one, uh, which is you know, our second biggest and you know, in many ways most cherished event, just made us grow you know, to the point where we are today. It absolutely has. And for anyone who's just tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with the artistic director of Cinema St. Louis, Chris Clark, talking about the 23rd annual Whitaker St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase. Screenings for that are going to be starting July 21st. Now, Chris, there's 91 films that are going to be available for this. So <laughs> I wish we had time to showcase and talk about all of them, but we'd be here for about three and a half, maybe four hours. And <laughs> unfortunately, we don't I'm have sure, that. sure, and I could keep talking, you know. <laughs> no, absolutely. This conversation could be endless. But one thing I will have you highlight is at least the sections or the categories that all 91 of these films are in. Can you give us some tidbits about that? 
Sure. Like, um, you know, like the International Film Festival or any film festival of this size, um, it would be possible pretty much to see everything and it can be overwhelming with large numbers. But those 90 films, 91 films are broken down into 17 programs spread out over two weekends. And they're sort of loosely, you know, grouped together by genre uh, in, in somewhat um, thematic groupings. Um, <clears throat> there are some narrative feature films. Uh, there's a sci-fi thriller called The Box, for example, that's about aliens uh, descending in St. Louis and, uh, and, and infiltrating uh, <clears throat> the world. Uh, there's documentaries about, um, you know, bicycle racing and uh, <clears throat> uh, a dance craze from a nightclub in downtown St. Louis in the early 2000s that still exists today. Um, just, you know, interesting factoids about that and interesting stories. Um, <clears throat> there are documentary shorts programs that put similarly themed short documentaries together. There are eight narrative shorts programs. You know, one of them is more um, comedic in nature. There are several dramatic programs and the local filmmakers love to make horror and slasher films. And if that's not for you, that's okay. But they're really pretty good at it. And the people that do like those sort of things really love what these guys do and girls. Uh, there's, you know, all kinds of people who make these films, a little bit of everybody. Um, so they're, place every two weekends at different times and uh, uh, each program is a unique admission um, we own a theater now which is great so we can take our time and you know, get, in, get in these big crowds uh, in and out and uh, the filmmakers will be there in attendance excitedly with their cast and crew and friends and family and uh, and people who are interested in just seeing what the local filmmakers are, are capable of and just because they're not in New York or Hollywood or California or Chicago or somewhere with a big film center, it doesn't mean they're not just as good. And they are. And quick little thing to add to that, just because it is still really relevant in recent news. Congratulations again to the point that you, Cinema St. Louis, does have a new official permanent home in the High Point Theater because you all are now the new owner of it. So all of those films will be held in in that in the High Point Theater, correct? Yes, and that's you know so exciting uh, to have you know a permanent home for one. We've worked really hard these past six months. You know there are many nights where I have to be there, you know, make popcorn and mop the floor and sell tickets and whatever it takes. You know, as a small arts organization, but we're very excited to you know not just be there, but to have our you know our first big huge event there um, on that beautiful corner right across from Forest Park. Oh yeah, and it's so exciting. And w one of the other things that I I'd love to ask is since this is the 23rd annual Whitaker St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, and basically to qualify, you have to have some sort of deep St. Louis tie, especially being from the area, or at least, you know, historically being around that area now, wherever you are. Are there any returning filmmakers or producers that maybe they haven't done it any every year, but they've at least participated quite a bit? This one doesn't qualify as quite a bit, but I, I must say that... Um, the film that I mentioned earlier, the sci-fi thriller called The Box, about you know, aliens descending on St. Louis um, <clears throat> through a time portal. Uh, it's very important to the story. Um, David Linder, the director, had a narrative feature film in the very first showcase that was held at the Tivoli Theater that was produced by the St. Louis Film Office. And I went to go see that. It was, it was a, uh, a modern Western called Defiance uh, that was shot in Defiance, Missouri. Um, but you know, he is returning now, 23 years later. Uh, to be to be in the event again with his okay uh, most recent feature film. So that's interesting. There's always a handful of people, and uh, you know, there's a couple of film schools in town 
so I see filmmakers submit films, you know, when they're sophomores, juniors, and they're in their senior project, and then they're out in the world making other films. Definitely little building blocks all, along the way, and it's great to see lots of people that are returning to it. One of the things that I think is interesting about this is Cinema St. Louis is also going to be offering three free master classes that, fo- that focus on all of the key aspects of filmmaking, right? Yes. Well, not all of them, but uh, the three that we're choosing this year. Um, one is about legal issues. Um, one is on film criticism. And another is in conjunction with uh, the Missouri Film Office um, has had a script writing contest for the past oh, eight, eight or nine years, I believe. And the last couple of years, they have a new adjunct part of that program where they have funding to make these winning scripts into um, actual short films. So we're going to show three of those films and talk to the writers and directors in the process of getting it from script to screen uh, on a modest budget um, on an independent level in Missouri. And one of the most important questions that I love to wrap up with, just just because, you know, it's it's a great way to get the information out there and also make it easier to find any information about Cinema St. Louis. For anyone who needs or wants to find the information, whether it's about Cinema St. Louis in general or about the 23rd annual Whitaker St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase, where is the best resource for them to find all that information? At our main website, which will lead you to the you know all of our events, um, the High Point Theater film listings, uh, the event listings such as this for the St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase. Everything is easily indexed there from the main page which is cinemastlouis.org. We don't spell out the saint, so it's um, cinemastlouis.org. All right, fantastic. Well, once again, this is Chris Clark, the Artistic Director for Cinema St. Louis. We've been talking about the 23rd Annual Whitaker St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase. Screenings for that start July 21st. Chris, thank you so much for your time here on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Hey, always good to talk to you, Cameron. Thanks. And if anyone's tuned in late, or if you want to hear more, play this back over again, share it in any way possible, make sure to search Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri, wherever you get your podcasts. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. 
Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. The St. Louis Zoo Young Professionals are inviting you to Jammin' at the Zoo. They've got uh, this event uh, twice this summer, and the first one is coming up this Friday. And to tell us more about this is Michael Jordan. Michael, uh, nice to talk with you. Hey, Bill, nice to talk with you, too. Yeah. Do you get uh, a lot of jokes or a lot of uh, uh, with the NBA legend? How, how, how tired of you hearing that? You know, I uh, I always joke that I, I'm a little bit of a disappointment when I walk in the room. Um, I'm a little bit shorter, and my basketball skills are not quite there yet. <laughs> well, that's all right. Hey, so what? who are or what makes up the young professionals of the St. Louis Zoo? Yeah, so our zoo young professionals are uh, a group of individuals in their 20s and 30s, um, and they really help us out with planning some events around the zoo. They help us grow um, our membership base. Um, and they kind of help us out with these 21 and up events uh, that are really, really fun. Okay, so you don't need to be a part of this young professionals group, but you can take part in these Jammin' at the Zoo events. And uh, the first one is coming up this Friday night um, from 6 to 1030. Kind of walk us through what's going to happen. 
so we are really excited to host GM at the Zoo on a Friday night. Um, so from 6 to 8, uh, we'll have some tasting stations set up throughout the zoo. Uh, so we will have wineries, local breweries, um, and some canned cocktails uh, with over about 50 samples for folks to try. At 8 o'clock, uh, we have entertainment that will start on the main stage um, for our July uh, 21st night. We have Groove Fang that will be on the main stage, um, and they'll play until 1030. Um, after you have your beer, wine, and canned cocktail sampling, uh, we will have food and beverage available for purchase. We have some specialty food items that we're really excited about um, this year. We're going to have some shredded pork street tacos chicken in a cone, uh, beef and cheese sliders, a Korean barbecue uh, pork kebabs, and a watermelon poke bowl, um, as well as all the goodies to um, purchase with margaritas and things like that. Well, that sounds like uh, fun and a, and a great menu, too. <laughs> and so the, the proceeds go back to the zoo then? They do. Um, all of the proceeds help benefit the zoo um, and our conservation efforts, uh, both at the St. Louis Zoo and around the world. Uh, now, you said the, the St. Louis Zoo Young Professionals uh, a group of people in their, their 20s and 30s, but uh, what about the, some of your older population like myself? Uh, I mean, what if I'm into groove thing? Am I, uh, am I are, am welcome to come to this too? <laughs> you are totally invited. Um, so it is just 21 and up. Um, we will have things for, for everybody to enjoy. Um, we will have our uh, Stingray area open, um, and we will also have our sea lions and seals. Um, they like to enjoy the show uh, and, and dance and, and get down with uh, with the band. Did they put on a show? That <laughs> you'll hear them hollering. Really? Well, so they get into it as well. All right, listen. I'm going to be honest. I would <laughs> probably yeah. I would probably be more interested in the chicken in a cone than than groove thing. But still, <laughs> that is a great menu. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Something for everybody. Yeah. Michael Jordan at the St. Louis Zoo. Now, when people are at this jamming at the zoo event, can they walk around and check out the other animals, or is that kind of their downtime? So we do have um, a limited footprint um, of the zoo. Uh, most of the animals do have a pretty set bedtime um, where they are allowed uh, to go inside. Some of them can come outside if they'd like to. Um, but uh, for the most part, I would expect to um, just enjoy uh, seeing the other folks around the event um, and enjoying those uh, tasting samples. Michael Jordan joining us, the St. Louis Zoo Young Professionals, hosting a jammin' at the zoo this Friday, and then uh, again August 18th. Um, are there any uh, special breweries or wineries that you want to touch on that um, you maybe want to highlight, give us an idea of, of who's taking part of this? We are actually still finalizing the uh, tasting menu, um, but uh, it'll, it'll be a whole lot of really nice uh, breweries. Um, I know Urban Chestnut is in. Um, we'll have Stonehill Winery on site as well. Um, so we are really, really excited. All right. That sounds like a great list, too. Um, all right. This, <laughs> this might seem like an odd question, and, and I don't know if uh, anyone has ever tried to sneak this or if you've tried to experiment at the zoo, but have animals ever tried beer or wine? Ooh, and the only that's reason, an interesting and, question. And, Michael, the only reason why I ask this is there's a there's a bar in Memphis, Tennessee, and I think it's called Silky O'Sullivan's, and they had a couple of goats, and I think this was part of their show. They would they would bring goats down from their pen, and these things would chug beer, and yeah, but they would drink oh any goodness. yeah they would drink anybody under the table. Now this is years ago. I don't know if I don't know if the city stepped in and said, look, you're, you know, you're not feeding beer to goats at all. But has that ever been tried at the zoo? <laughs> 
think so. I, I think we uh, we keep all our animals on a non-alcoholic diet. <laughs> it's probably smart. <laughs> yeah, I wonder which ones could hold their could hold their alcohol. So anyway, uh, listen, it's a it's a great event uh, helping raise money for the zoo, uh, jamming at the zoo. If people want more information, where can they find it? Yeah, they can head to our website stlzoo.org. Um, and I did just want to give a, a shout out to our, our ticket pricing for this year. Um, so we uh, have member pricing at $35 um, and our non-member ticket pricing is $45. Um, and that price does include all of the tasting. So over 50 samples. Um, it does include seeing the band um, and it does include a um, souvenir uh, tasting glass. Sounds like a fun date night. Right. It's perfect. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Michael Jordan jamming at the zoo, the St. Louis Zoo, this Friday and again uh, August 18th. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Discover the fascinating world of nature right here in Missouri with Discover Nature Notes. Today, let's jump into the weird world of spittlebugs. You'll never look at bugs the same way again. Spittlebugs literally grow in a protective bubble. You may see these bubbles that look like spit on plants this time of year. The spittlebug nymph finds protection from the weather and predators while feeding and growing inside the bubbles. Adult spittlebugs are high jump champions in nature, leaping more than 100 times their length in height. By comparison, that would be like you or me jumping over the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. The acceleration used for jumping is a force more than 400 times the force of gravity. So when you see the bubbles, just rest assured you're witnessing the growth of nature's high jumper, the spittlebug. Discover more with Missouri Department of Conservation at discovernaturenotes.com. University of Missouri encourages you to eat smart, like a tiger. Use the grill to cook vegetables and fruits. Try grilling mushrooms, onions, peppers, or zucchini on a kebab skewer. Brush with oil to keep them from drying out. Grilled fruits like peaches, pineapple, or mangoes add variety to a cookout. Find more tips like this at muext.us slash eatsmartlikeatiger. This message was funded by USDA SNAP. Every day we take steps to keep the people we love safe, but some health risks are easy to miss. Ticks hiding in the yard can spread germs, like the ones that cause Lyme disease. Mice searching for food can spread bacteria that makes us sick. Mosquitoes lay eggs in standing water and can spread West Nile virus and more. Cockroaches are drawn to water in the home, leaving behind allergens that can trigger asthma attacks. Common pests can threaten our health. Learn how to protect your family at pestworld.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. 
The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. The world's largest nonstop river race is starting August 1st, the MR340. It's a race from Kansas City to St. Charles along the Missouri River. And with me is race director Christina Ruiz. Hello, Christina. Hi, thanks, Bill. Yeah. Hey, give us uh, the basic rundown of the race. Yeah, so the MR340 begins in Kansas City. And so this year, like you said, August 1st, Tuesday, um, soloists will take off at 7 a.m. and team and all other divisions will be at 8 a.m. And then they go through a series of checkpoints throughout the state as they make their way to St. Charles. And then they have 85 hours as a deadline to finish in St. Charles, 86 hours for solos. And so, yeah, it's a, a nonstop race because there aren't any locations where racers must stop. Um, there are locations for stopping are up to them. They just have to complete, excuse me, they just have to complete checkpoints by a certain time along the way. And then what happens? Do you bring out fishing nets and, and ring them back into shore? <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a reaper boat, which um, follows this imaginary line of where the the back end of that 85-hour time limit is. And so, you know, it's kind of fun and daunting to be, you know, close to the Reaper. But, um, you know, we keep an eye on who those boats are. and um, But for the most part, people will withdraw themselves um, if they know that they can't meet a checkpoint on time. How many uh, people or teams usually participate in the MR340? Uh, last year, in 2022, we had just a little over 400 boats with 600 racers within those boats. And um, this year we have, we're expecting about 450 boats. So similar to last year, perhaps a few more boats and paddlers. Yeah. And how long has the MR340 been going on? I mean, that's a great, great field. Yeah, this is the 18th annual. So, um Starting in 2006 was the first year, and uh, yeah, we're excited for the 18th year of this race. Yeah, it's grown quite a bit. Race director Christina Ruiz is with us uh, for the MR340. You've raced it a few times. Uh, it's kayaks. What else uh, is involved? What other uh, types of uh, boats or craft are allowed? Yeah, you'll see stand-up paddle boards. We have a dragon boat. Uh, registered this year. You'll see canoes, kayaks, um, multi-person boats. We have a couple of rowing divisions. So if it's self-propelled and in a boat, you'll probably see it out there. What's uh, outside of racing for 340 miles and trying to do it within 85 hours, what what are the obstacles? What do people encounter while on the river um, whether it's physically, emotionally? Yeah, so 
our paddlers are paddling, obviously, 340 miles across multiple days and nights. And so heat is a factor. Um, paddling at night um, requires some extra due diligence. Um, but heat exhaustion, um, sleep deprivation, these are things that many racers will encounter. And then just the physical obstacles, too. There um, will be barge traffic that they encounter uh, along the way and other boaters. So um, just things to watch out for um, within the river itself. And then just those personal battles of um, being able to paddle 340 miles nonstop. The MR340 is scheduled August 1st through the 4th, and August 1st is the start of the full moon phase. Do you schedule that race during that time on purpose for the overnight paddling? Yeah, that's right. So that's definitely something that we're looking at in terms of planning because it does give that extra light for paddlers at night, and it's just such a an essential part of being able to navigate more safely at night. Christina Ruiz is the race director for the MR340. It's the world's longest nonstop river race and uh, different checkpoints uh, along uh, the Missouri River. All right, so I'm looking at uh, the website, mr340.org, and I'm looking at the uh, records, and this is just for solos. I'm looking at the women's record. It was set in 2018 by uh, Robin Benincast, uh, 38 hours and 41 minutes. And the men's record, also set in 2018 by Joe Mann, 36 hours and 39 minutes. So if if my math is correct, <laughs> she averaged um, just under nine miles per hour, and Joe was averaging just over nine miles per hour. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah. So our, our first finishers coming into St. Charles typically are at that, like, sub-40 mark. And so, for instance, last year in 2022, we had two boats that came in just under 40 hours. And so we'll be receiving the very first racers in St. Charles at the finish line Wednesday night. And so the field is really spread out because then they have races have all the way until Friday night at 9 p.m. to finish the race. So there's going to be a large span of time for racers to complete. So yeah, well, sub 40 all the way to 85. Christina, given the fact that both records were set in 2018, uh, I'm assuming the current of the river was um, pretty fast, but what is the typical speed of the current to help? Uh, it depends. Along the Missouri River, depends which section you're in. It depends on water level also. So racers might see uh, two miles per hour or two and a half miles per hour a current. Um, it, it really just depends on the area that they're in and also if they're staying in the channel water. So there's a lot of variance about um, with miles per hour in terms of what position they are on the river at any given section. Yeah. So that's it, just a couple miles per hour? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So let's let's put this in perspective then. Uh, if if Robin and Joe were averaging, uh, let's just say, you know, because they were both close to nine miles per hour, and they're getting the help of two, maybe two and a half miles per hour, they're they're paddling themselves at seven miles an hour, non nonstop. That's yeah. a, that's an incredible speed. 
I mean, just get in your yeah, car. I mean, yeah, imagine this. I mean, get in your car and, and just go seven miles per hour and watch stuff go past you. And then that's what that's what their pace. That's amazing. Yeah, and another thing to think about is that, you know, all of these teams will have refuel spots with their ground crews. And some people are doing that more often than others. But that's another piece of time that's part of this part of these times, you know. So if they're making um, a 10-minute stop at a ramp to get more food, change out water, you know, whatever the scenario is, I mean, that would be a very fast handoff. Um, and obviously, a lot of people are going to be spending more time with their crews. Um, so all of that time at ramps is part of this overall time, too. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. Uh, I know that I've watched a couple of times. I've gone to Jefferson City under the bridge. That's one of the big checkpoints, and uh, it's a nice sandy area. And uh, they have their teams, and they'll come in, and I don't know, it's maybe a little over the, the halfway point. Um and, boy, the exhaustion and the hard work of those people really uh, pushing just to, to get through that point. But, yeah, I mean, they're all the way on, you know, say the south side of the of the river kind of following the channel. And they've got to come towards the north bank. So, I mean, there's a lot of maneuvering going around. And you had talked about that as well. So this is really a, a test of endurance and, and mental strength. Yeah, absolutely. There are many layers to the MR340. And so... Um, it's just, it's really exciting. I think as, as, um, someone who's racing or a spectator, it's, it's just a really incredible race. It's an incredible experience if you're out on the water. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to it. Hey, I'm looking at these, uh, record times and, uh, what's a dragon boat? So a dragon boat traditionally is a large, uh, it has its, history in China and um, it's it's just a type of boat and people sit on benches two per person or two people per bench. Uh, There's technically like a person in the very rear who is steering with a large oar. It's it's just a very large type of boat and um, we do have a dragon boat registered this year so yeah. it'll be exciting to see them out there yeah well i'm looking at the fastest times and there was a dragon boat that set in 2010 and one of the names at the top is uh, christina ruiz so you have been holding out on us christina you're you're in the record books so you've you've done this race before yeah i've done it five times and that was an incredible journey with uh, the dragon boat team and Certainly lifelong friends because of it uh, made out there and, and with our crew. So, yeah, we've had a great run and we just um, it's just great memories. And um, like any other MR340, you just never forget it once you once you paddle it. Uh, we'll wrap up. I, I noticed that you've partnered with Missouri River Relief. How long have you uh, worked with them with the MR340? So Missouri River Relief. Um, is actually um, the host of the MR340. And so the MR340 changed hands from River Miles to Missouri River Relief in 2021. And so I work for Missouri River Relief, and this is our largest fundraising event of the year. And so this is our third year of uh, managing the MR340. Uh, Can anybody, I mean, if they still want to enter, uh, is it still open or is it closed for this year? 
It is currently still open, so we're still accepting registrations, and there's a lot of movement on the roster right now, which happens right before the race, people um, changing divisions and some withdrawing and some adding a new partner and all of that, but yeah, it's technically still open. Okay, Um, and you know, this is a a good team-building thing, too. I I know that I've talked with uh, people before that... uh, uh, they they do team building exercises with their coworkers, and they start out in Kansas City, and they maybe make it half a day, and then they they peel off, and then it turns into a party. <laughs> but uh, they're not looking to necessarily complete the whole race, but they go out and they they have some fun too. So if you're competitive or you're looking to just go out and have some fun, uh, how can people register, and what are the entry fees? Uh, you go to mi340.org, and there's a registration link there. Um, currently, the registration fee is $250. Uh, that's the full registration. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have every person register. And, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah, Christina, the uh, start of the race in Kansas City kind of looks like, uh, you know, if you were from high up above, it kind of looks like those uh, little duck races where they drop all the ducks in the river. <laughs> you kind of see which one floats down the fastest. <laughs> it's kind of what it looks like. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, Cobb Point is really fun on race morning. It's congested with all of our racers and boats and spectators. And it's really the only location where everyone involved in the race is in one location in terms of our racers and their crews, because from that point on, they get spread out and many won't make it to St. Charles. So it's a great atmosphere. And it's really exciting. So anyone who wants to be a spectator and come out and just watch it all should totally come out. Christina Ruiz with MR340 starting August 1st. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Bill. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Wrapping up here on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, I'm Bill Pollack, Chiefs rookies and quarterbacks. Made their way into camp on Tuesday on the campus of Missouri Western in St. Joe. The veteran players will start rolling in. And the first practice of Chiefs training camp will be Sunday. That will be open to the public. And their first preseason game, August 13th. It's a Sunday in New Orleans. They'll be in the Superdome. And we'll have Todd Lebo from Sports Radio 810 WHB. He'll be along later this week. And we'll talk about training camp, some of the things to look for um, health-wise. What does the offense look like? What do we expect from the defense? Much, much more. So we'll talk to him soon. Thank you for listening. Show me today.